Two Pills Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Dr. Melena McLaughlin with us. She is a Philadelphia transplant to the Midwest with no immunosuppression required. She attended the oldest pharmacy school in the country, the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy. She then completed a PGY-1 pharmacy residency in Brooklyn, New York, and an infectious disease fellowship at Northwestern Memorial through Midwestern University. After 10 years of training, since pharmacists love to count by fives, she achieved her lifelong dream since third grade of being a math teacher, and she teaches clinical pharmacokinetics. She is an associate professor at MWU and is an HIV ID clinical pharmacist at NMH. Students often laugh at her really bad pharmacy jokes, and in her free time, she builds castle-shaped bump cakes, crafting, or watches any Philadelphia sports team game. So welcome, Elena. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Well, just to get started, would you be able to tell us about yourself and your teaching style? self-described nerd. I love making terrible jokes. I love to tap into fun creative side. I will tell people that their scarf looks like it has a buddy yeast pattern. I have to get a funny look when I say that, but I, I really enjoy it. Um, in terms of my teaching style, I love to use analogies. I feel that people need to build new knowledge upon something that they already know. I had this really wonderful class in college. It was an intellectual heritage class. And it taught us that you have to learn from what you already know and you have to continue that pathway. And I I think that analogies really help with that. And it really helps students to build upon their previous knowledge. That's great. Can you give us some examples of those analogies that you've used? Sure. So an analogy I can think of is I practice mostly um, in HIV. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about what the viral load does to, you know, a patient, when I tell students to think about a mosquito bite, you can see a mosquito bite on the outside, and it's red, it's raised, it's itchy, it's inflamed. And if you think about the HIV virus doing that to the inside of the body, to the inside of the blood vessels, the organs, you can really start to understand why HIV causes a lot of issues with organ systems and also with dementia. Oh, that's great. That Yeah, that totally makes sense. The, I like that analogy, though. I never would have thought of that, HIV and mosquito bites. So that's really great. Yeah. Um, when did you know you wanted to be a teacher? So I love telling this story. So in third grade, I didn't want to be a biomarine. I didn't want to be an astronaut. <laughs> I wanted to be a math teacher. And so I continued that. And in eighth grade, I was really excited because I figured out I wanted to teach algebra. I loved algebra. Fast forward to high school when I started taking chemistry and anatomy, and I was so super torn. Pharmacy was suggested, and I looked at it, and I was like, I get to take four years of chemistry. This is great. Sign me up. I didn't really even know what the pharmacist was, but I knew I wanted to be a teacher. So I went to pharmacy school, you know, did some training in academia, and here I am. I'm a math teacher still. I teach clinical pharmacokinetics instead of algebra, but I'm happy that I ended up in my dream job. That's so great. So it's been a, a long time for you. That's like that you've wanted to do this. So that's fantastic. Yep. Um, when it comes to teaching, you mentioned analogies. What's maybe a teaching strategy that's been effective and maybe one that you didn't even really expect for it to be effective? And then what's a teaching strategy that you've implemented that did not go as planned or was less than effective? So something that I found to be really helpful is I have students that they'll say, like, oh, I really want to come and I want to shadow you in the clinic. And I'll tell them, you know, there's no shadowing, there's doing. If you're going to come, <laughs> you're going to be put to work. And I think that 
making students do things, you know, showing them how to do it, having them do one, and then really just letting them, you know, facilitate on their own. They learn so much better, and I think that they take a lot more ownership of that task, especially, you know, in, in the clinical roles. One thing that I tell my students is, you know, we push you out of the nest very quickly here. You know, they're little baby birds. I love to push them out of the nest very quickly. But, you know, we still have that landing pad there in case, like, you don't fly the first time. So you don't need to worry, but we're not going to kind of, you know, do this, you know, 10 flying lesson type thing. It's going to be more of a push you out of the nest. Something that I think where I struggled a little bit when I first started pre-accepting and teaching is I, I would make these assumptions that students do things mm-hmm. instead of making sure that they do things mm-hmm. and so I wouldn't want to ask those like super easy questions like what are the drugs in a triplet because I was just assuming that they knew it and I, I kind of thought that hey if I ask this question they're going to be like well, why is she asking you that does she not think that I know what's in a triplet but I found that you just have to ask the questions and then if they know it you move on you ask a harder question and you go from there I'm a huge fan of the Socratic method mm-hmm. and having students kind of walk through their own uh, questions and having them walk through, you know, I ask them something and they don't know the answer. I think that makes so much sense because I think that's one of the hardest things when you start as a faculty member is you're just trying to find your way through your own material and the meetings that you're supposed to be in and figuring out your email and you don't really maybe have a good grasp of the curriculum so far and you know what's how students were taught before you and what they had in their previous years before they got to you so yeah I think that that absolutely makes sense um, and is a hard thing for anybody to get started with and then as you get into it for a couple years you get your groove and maybe you sit on curriculum committee and you know you figure out what all they've learned so far and especially in an area like HIV which I know students find pretty intimidating. Yeah I also found out that students like it when you ask them easy questions because they know the answer. (laughs) That's a great point. Really I've never found anyone that got offended if I asked too easy a question so. That is a great point absolutely. So with the, your different roles in teaching and in clinical practice, what would you say is your favorite part of your job? I would have to say the fact that I'm in a role where I am supposed to be teaching and that people are coming to me because they want me to teach them. I absolutely love sharing knowledge and helping somebody, you know, see that light bulb go off or helping them make a connection. I love teaching my students, colleagues, patients. Anyone that finds out I'm a pharmacist, there's, they'll have some kind of question and we'll end up talking about, you know, hepatitis C at a college fair or, you know, Uber driver wants a recommendation <laughs> for diarrhea or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I I'm, I'm always find myself in this teaching role, which I absolutely love, and the fact that I get paid to teach is really cool. No, absolutely. Are there any student questions or patient questions that have left a lasting memory for you? I think I had I had a patient one time. Uh, I was trying to do some motivational interviewing with her. She had a lot of social stressors as to why she wasn't taking her HIV medications, and she really wasn't doing well. And we knew it was because of her, you know, family life things that were going on. And I was trying to talk to her and you know ask questions, and she just kind of looked at me and she said, "Well, you know, you just don't understand." And I thought, you know, I I don't understand, and Mm -hmm. I want her to help me better understand. And I think that students will have the same questions as, 
well, why is this medication so expensive? Why can't the patient have their medication? And, and why are we doing something one way or the other? And I think it's a lot of those those whys that really leave a lasting impression and, and make you want to try and, and get to the point where, you know, it's not an issue for a patient to get their medication. I completely agree, and that's why whenever I have a student who I on rotations who I think would be a really good preceptor, I tell them that as part of their final evaluation. And one of the things that I think is so great about the fact that we do get to teach is that our learners so keep us on our toes, whether it's those why questions or, hey, I just saw this new article and things like that. And I think that that's one of the biggest benefits to being faculty is that we do get those questions and those hard questions from them um, that we get to try to answer. I agree. I think that precepting is one of those topics that we don't get taught in school, and there's not a class for how to be a preceptor. And as a pharmacist, you know, you want to be helping and teaching the next generation of pharmacists. And so I have my students, when they're doing their topic discussions and journal clubs, they have to build in those active learning activities. They have to precept the other students in the room and kind of learn how to ask those questions and learn not to answer the question two seconds after you ask it because no one's <laughs> answering it yet, which is really hard. And right. I have my Appy students precept my Ippy students and they get so into it and they're talking about the way you use a grant experience for like 45 minutes because they're just so excited to be able to, you know, give that information. I think that layered learning is so valuable and I think another aspect of that is having students give feedback to each other whether it's written or verbal just because I think that it that also challenges them and they can't just say great job that was perfect no changes you know um so I think including that in there is really helpful as well so if you weren't in healthcare or in this role in pharmacy education what would you be doing for your career so I really love baking. I like making cupcakes. I like creating. I love planning parties. I love doing anything that's really outside the box. So I'm not sure if I would be, you know, a baker or like a wedding planner or something like that. I think, you know, I always have that other, you know, algebra teacher uh, that I could be doing. But I love to have a lot of fun and really, you know, make people smile and, and bring new things to the table. That's great. So would you say baking is one of your go-to activities to de-stress? Do you have any others that you like to do to de-stress? I, um, so obviously baking, um, and as you mentioned, I, I have a lot of different chapel-shaped bun pans, and so, <laughs> you know, I'll put gumdrops in the turrets, or, you know, one time somebody was uh, having a going-away party, and I put the little uh, hospital logos, I printed them out, put them on put those in the turrets, that's a lot of fun. I have to love the craft. I mean, my glue gun never really gets put away. My paper cutter never really gets put away. Um, most recently, I did uh, some string art, which is a lot of fun. There's a lot of nails involved in that, and you kind of weave the string around them. So between that and, you know, reading, um, I love to read. really uh, helps me be stressed when I need it. Absolutely. And I'm sure you read things other than pharmacy and faculty development stuff, but do you have any books or podcasts or websites that you would recommend for maybe new faculty when they're starting out? So the most recent book I read that I would for sure recommend for any pharmacist is The Seven Figure Pharmacist, which talks oh, yeah. about finances for pharmacists. And that to me was really eye-opening in terms of all the things that, you know, I had kind of half thought about but needed to think about more and how I want to, you know, just, like, 
recommendations for buying a house and things like that. And I think it was really helpful and it was great that it was geared towards pharmacists and kind of towards our, you know, median income and towards our our issues that we have um, with student loans and things like that. So I, I would definitely recommend that book. I think that's great. And we actually, Tim, one of the writers, is going to be on this podcast. So I'm really excited. Oh, great. Yeah, he's going to be one of our guests. So I'm going to try not to, you know, fangirl too hard when he's on here. But um, I totally agree. (laughs) I think his book and his podcast and everything are really great. So um, absolutely, that's a really good recommendation. And you're right. Like having it specific to pharmacy is really, really nice. Um, as far as when you're getting your ideas for your teaching and for your patient care, where do you get your ideas or who inspires you? I think the people that inspire, inspire me most and, you know, there's obviously like my mentors and everyone that I've had, but when I think about it, you know, globally and think about, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing and why am I wanting to come up with these new ideas? I think that being in healthcare, we see a lot of people who are facing a lot of adversity and we see a lot of patients, you know, pass away and, it just reminds me that, you know, be happy to be healthy and that you have to just keep going forward and help people no matter what they need and that people who can get through things no matter what life throws at them, it just inspires me to be like, I'm healthy, I have a job, you know, I have financial means, I I love my job, so I'm way ahead of a lot of people and I just need to keep pushing myself forward and trying to improve things because I'm really blessed to have all those wonderful things and those opportunities to do better. Absolutely. And does that tie into your work with balance in academia? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I um, am really interested in uh, including students in my research projects. And so I think that that helps uh, in a couple different ways. So it's a really good symbiotic relationship where the students, they don't know anything about research and they're excited just to get their, you know, their feet wet with it, and you can explain to them, like, okay, this is going to take three years, because that's how long research takes, and, you know, my login doesn't work today, and that's part of research, that <laughs> I have to troubleshoot these issues, mm-hmm. and then at the same time, you know, if they're going to be collecting data on 600 patients for me, that's 600 patients worth of time that I don't need to, to spend, I'm going to have some time input and investment up front with training, and then obviously on the back end, but I think that you know, the balance there is really great because they're getting a really good experience and I'm having a lot of, you know, data just cranked out and I all around I think it's really, really great. Yeah, absolutely. I think that they can become extensions of you, like you were mentioning, which is is so fantastic. Do you have any logistical advice um, or um, as far as implementing students into your research? Maybe if you want to have an appy student help you or something like that? Sure. So I think that it depends on where the project is. Is it a brand new project? Are you bringing somebody in on an existing project? There's always, of course, you know, institutional review board, and they have to do city training and all those kinds of things. But just in terms of when the student is actually ready, you know, to come in and start, not to have too over-the-top expectations of what you're going to be able to get done on that first day, and it might be one patient, it might be half a patient, I always tell my students, if they weren't helping me, my research would be going at a loris pace, <laughs> a very slow loris, and when they help me, it gets up to about a turtle. <laughs> so, you know, you can get turtles, they go at a pretty good clip sometimes, sometimes they're a little slower meandering along, but it's still faster than a loris. So I think that having good expectations 
on both sides. So the student realizing that they're not going to have a published manuscript in a month or maybe even a year, and the faculty member realizing that the student's going to need a, a larger investment up front, but once they get going, that you know they'll be able to just kind of start cranking out the data and or cranking out you know the lib search, and it really ends up being you know a benefit to your time in the end. I think so too, and I think it's one of those things, especially if you have a student who's really interested in research. I think hopefully they can see the end, like especially if you tell them, I know in my experience, if I say, and you're going to be able to present this at PNT committee, you know, or at infection prevention committee or whatever, um, it really helps them to see that this isn't busy work, even if though it might just feel like kind of data entry at the time, and that this ultimately becomes the data that supports this bigger project. Sure, definitely giving them, you know, whether it's a short-term goal or the actual, you know, long-term goal of the project is is really good because it gives them something to strive for. And it's definitely good to know what their expectations are, too, if they want to present a poster at mid-year, for example, that, you know, you kind of have that laid out and that they're not kind of telling you last minute, like, oh, by the way, like, can I present this as a poster? <laughs> yeah. And so that's always good to, you know, get that laid out as front too. Absolutely. Well, my last question for you is, what is your overall prescription for life, success, happiness, whether it's in this job or in general? So I definitely would say don't sweat the small stuff. And a lot of the times, especially as pharmacists, we get caught up, you know, striving for perfection because we're pharmacists. Like, you know, we're dispensing a med, everything has to be perfect, but instead of striving for perfection really you know strive for excellence and, and don't sweat all those small things whether it be in your professional or personal life and to always be grateful for your health and, and well-being and, and your loved ones too because again you know seeing so many people um, who don't have that blessing I think it really helps to be uh, happy when you're you're healthy and not sweating all those you know small little things that that don't really matter in the end Absolutely. And I like that because I have seen um, strive for progress, not perfection, but I like that striving for excellence, not perfection. So that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Dr. McLaughlin. 